You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. We're glad you're here. I want to invite you to grab your Bible, turn to the book of Acts in the New Testament, and get ready to study God's Word together in a series we call, We Are All Witnesses, Part 3. Well, hey church. It's good to see you. Uh, if you're new, my name's Tommy Kreitz. I serve as the campus pastor of our Crystal Lake campus and on our teaching team, and it is good to worship in the house of the Lord today, isn't it? Come on. Well, I wanna take a moment before we jump into our, uh, our time in the Word and take a moment to celebrate. Harvest Bible Chapel launched on September 18th, 1988 with 18 people, and by God's grace and for his glory, we're celebrating 35 years of his faithfulness this weekend. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. Which uh, is wild to me because I'm also 35. I'm about a month older than our church, which is just crazy, right? But praise the Lord for his faithfulness, amen. Well, you're gonna need a Bible today. And uh, we're gonna be finishing up in uh, Acts chapter 12. We're gonna be going through verse 20 through 24. So kind of a short swath of, uh, of scripture, but um, I, I think we've, we've got a lot of truth in, in just four verses. And so open up there. Um, this week, we, got a, um, we get costumes for our kids. <laughs> uh, any other families do that? Anyone else? Uh, yeah, like Ava, our daughter, has like 17 princess costumes. I'm just kidding, not that many, but a lot. It seems like that. And uh, our son, Zion, will uh, occasionally want a costume here and there. And when you know it, he wanted a ninja costume because he's been practicing karate. He's been fighting all of the invisible invaders in our house, right? Uh, as only an eight-year-old boy can do. And so he got the costume and literally for the past like week and a half, he's just been running around uh, karate fighting invisible people, right? He's just been going at it. And it's been amazing to watch. Um, but he's also, in that fighting of the invisible enemy, he has gained confidence. And so it's been a while since me and my son had a little bit of horseplay, a little bit of wrestling, you know what I mean? And uh, so he came up to me this week, he goes, Dad, I think I got some moves that can beat you. I'm like, oh yeah, son? He goes, I've been practicing all week and I got some pretty sweet moves and I think that they're stronger than you. I think I can defeat you. And I'm like, all right, man, well, let me see these moves. And so he does, he shows me his moves, his little punches, his karate kicks. It's very playful, nothing hard. And I'm like, dude, th those are awesome. Those are great moves. Every single one of them, pretty great. And he goes, so dad, you think you can beat me? I'm like, well, I'm your, I'm your dad, <laughs> you know? And he goes, okay, well, let's prove it. I want you to, I want you to try against me right now. And I'm like, you want, really? Want me to try? He goes, yeah, give it, give it, give it your all. <laughs> I didn't, but I did win, okay? And I won in the same way that I always win, which is that I grab him and then I fall to the floor and I hold him there until he gives up, right? And while we're there, uh, and, and he is uh, in my grip, unable to move, he fights with every ounce of eight-year-old muscle that he has trying to get loose from my grasp, and he cannot, right? I, I don't even think it would matter if he was the strongest eight-year-old in the world. He wouldn't be able to get out of my grip, why? Well, because I'm a dad, and, I, and we have dad strength, right? Dads, you know what I'm talking about? Sons, you know what I'm talking about? That supernatural strength that your dad has, like, it's just crazy. I, I, I became a dad one moment, and then I was like, it was like a superpower that happened. I, I got dad strength. And so no matter how hard Zion tries to get out of my grip, there's just no way that he possibly 
could. And I was thinking about that this week as I was preparing because we're going to see a power dynamic kind of like that in, in, in the scriptures for us today is a, a, a mismatch of, of power. One uh, person whose power is so much greater than the others that it takes very little effort uh, on, the, on the stronger person's uh, part to win. We're going to see it like that. And uh, the title of our time tonight is called Get Agrippa. Get a grip. Uh, and if you don't get that uh, just yet, you will in just a couple of seconds. Um, very rarely does a dad joke actually work as a sermon title, but it, here we are. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 12, verse 20 through 24, and we're going to see three important, simple truths that are found in this short passage for us. Here's the first one, is that God's name is higher. God's name is higher. Let's look at verse 20. It says, now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace. We're going to focus really quick on this person right here, Herod. Uh, this is not a, a person's name. This is a, a person's title. person's name is Herod Agrippa. Now you might understand the title, Get Agrippa. <laughs> uh, yes. But Herod is a title, and we actually see it throughout uh, the Gospels and the book of Acts. It is a dynastic title of, of, of powerful rulers, uh, mostly uh, from, from the same family, but some are appointed to the title of Herod, and there are quite a few of them. In fact, we see six of them in, in the New Testament. Um, we see Herod the Great, if you remember him uh, most people know Herod the Great because he was in the Christmas story, right? He was the one who ordered uh, the sons, the young sons to be killed uh, to try and eliminate the Messiah, right? Uh, he had also, though, uh, three sons, Herod Archelaus, who uh, shows up in uh, the narrative where Joseph, if you remember, he chooses, instead of going to Bethlehem, he chooses to go to Nazareth. And the reason that he goes to Nazareth is because he is avoiding this Herod, because like his father, this Herod is pretty harsh in his rule. We also see Herod Antipas, who is the Herod who killed John the Baptist. Uh, we see his other brother, uh, Philip, Herod Philip, and he shows up for just a brief moment in Luke chapter three. It's just his name, he's not, very, uh, big, he's not a very big part of the biblical narrative, but he ruled the area north and east of Galilee. Uh, and then we also see Herod Agrippa I. That's who we're going to be looking at today. That's this Herod right here, Herod Agrippa I. But he also had a son, Herod Agrippa II, who shows up in Acts 25 and 26, where he's interviewing uh, Paul as he's imprisoned, imprisoned in Caesarea. And so this is a dynastic, a dynasty of rulers, and their name, Herod, was great in the area. Everyone knew the Herods. Everyone knew who they were and the authority that they had and the power that they had. Everyone knew their name. Their name was great. In fact, you can still see some of the sites that they built today, 2,000 years later. They're pretty big deals, right? Pretty big deals. In fact, to maybe give us some modern examples of this, we have kind of a uh, uh, dynasties of wealth, right, uh, of people who uh, made it big and got a lot of money and have kept that money for a long period of time, like the Rockefellers or the Vanderbilts, those 
might be names that you know. You're like, oh yeah, that's that really rich, powerful, wealthy family that's been around forever. It's a dynasty, a dynasty wealth. Uh, we also have political dynasties, right? The, the Kennedys, the Bushes, the Clintons, these are powerful political dynasties. We also have sports dynasties, like the Chicago Bulls, right? Oh man, you guys remember 91 to 98? <sighs> Unbeatable, right? Or maybe uh, the, the Yankees, right? From like the 30s to the 60s, Larry's really happy about that one. Or more recently, 96 to 2000, right? There's these dynasties, right? And these dynasties, these are dynasties that stayed wealthy, powerfully wealthy, or powerful politically, or they were dominant for a significant period of time. That's like the Herods in ancient times. Powerful rulers. Economically powerful, politically powerful, dominant for a significant period of time. And Agrippa, in particular... Uh, was a pretty powerful guy. He actually had more territory than even his grandfather, Herod the Great, which was no small thing. It was a big deal. And not only was he a big deal, but he also liked hearing about it too. So Herod, angry with the people, they came to him with one accord and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, it's like his personal assistant, uh, they asked for peace. So these coastal cities, Tyre and Sidon, they, they, they were um, clashing with Herod. And Herod, uh, in his power, in his authority, uh, he, he had the economic upper hand, if you will. And they, they relied on him for food, and he was oppressing them, not giving it to them. And so uh, in their disputing, uh, he was not giving them the food that they needed. And so they decided to come to him and ask for peace. Because their country depended on the king's country for food. And then on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration, a speech to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And Herod did not refute that whatsoever. Uh, He liked it. And whether they were saying that genuinely or they were saying that out of flattery because they just wanted some food. It didn't really matter to, to Herod. Uh, he, uh, he took it anyway. He, di- he didn't care, right? He was a powerful man from a powerful dynasty trying to make a powerful name for himself. But we're gonna see very shortly that it pales in comparison to the name of the Most High God. Pales in comparison. You see, Herod was a king. It's a powerful name. He had much authority. He ruled over his subjects. He had power and wealth. He had a powerful name. He was a king. But Jesus Christ is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And while Herod is a king, Jesus is the king of kings. In fact, in Revelation 19, 16, says exactly that. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the name that is written on his robe and on his thigh. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. His name is greater than any earthly king. It is higher than any earthly king. He is the king of the kings. In fact, there are multiple verses throughout the scriptures that point to God's rule 
as higher than armies and kings. In fact, let's, like, let's take a look at a couple of them. In 2 Kings 19, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same way he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And that night, this is crazy, that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. That's a lot of damage, <laughs> right? And do you notice it's the angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord. Our God's name is so higher, his authority is so much greater that a single soldier in his army wipes out 185,000 of an earthly king. How amazing is that, right? That is the power of our God on display. The angel of the Lord did that. Isaiah 48, 11, for my own sake, for my own sake, I'll do, I, I, do, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. The glory goes to God's name and his name alone because his name is higher. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. This is Daniel. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Is it clear yet? He is the king of kings. His name is, is higher. His name is greater. He has more authority than any king on this earth. He is sovereign, in control, reigning over everything and everyone. There is no king who is more powerful. There is no army that is larger or stronger. God's name is higher. And this is a great reminder to you and to me that our faith and our trust and our hope and our belief is in the greater name. That's where it is. And I don't think it's a surprise that Herod here in this chapter is a governing authority. He is a political leader. And we have been living in a politically charged world for a pretty decent amount of time, right? Still, it's happening. And we have people in our world who put their faith, their hope, their trust, their belief in the name of a politician, in the name of a, of a governmental leader, they say, this is my guy, and I'm putting all my hope and my trust and my faith in him, and if he wins, he's gonna make everything all right. He's gonna fix all the problems in my life. He's gonna solve all the woes of society. He's gonna make everything just fine, and if he loses, the world is doomed. Everything's over, and I'm gonna talk about it for the next four years, right? Like, this is what we see happening over and over and over again in our politically charged world. The problem is, is that that rhetoric is starting to infect the church, where we have now Christians who are placing their faith, hope, and trust in the name of a politician. And if he wins, it's gonna change, my, it's gonna change our lives. It's gonna change our society. He is the answer to all of the problems. If we could just get him elected, everything's gonna be great. And if he doesn't, everything's gonna be awful. And what a reminder to you and to me to ask ourselves that question. 
is our hope, is our faith, is our trust, belief, more in the name of a politician than it is in the king of kings, in the name that is greater. Listen, I don't know about you, but I don't wanna be like Tyre and Sidon. I don't wanna give lip service worship to a man. I wanna give my worship to the king of kings, the highest name, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So God's name is higher. Here's the second thing. God's justice is perfect. God's justice is perfect. The really interesting thing about Acts chapter 12 is that there's this really interesting bookend, right? It starts uh, in verse one. Acts 12 verse one says, about that time, Herod the king, again, this is Agrippa, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. You guys remember that from last week, right? Herod laid violent hands. He persecuted the church. And he even took one of the leaders of the church, right? James, son of thunder, and he killed him. And this is a bookend to what happens at the, this is the beginning of the chapter. Here's the end of the chapter. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Alternative title for the message, worm food, right? Immediately. So do you see, do you see, the, do you see the bookend there? Do you see what happened? Is in the beginning of the chapter, Herod laid his violent hands on the church and at the end of the chapter, God laid his hands of violence on Herod. See the bookend? The mirror that's happening here? When you lay violent hands on the church, he lays them on you because vengeance is the Lord's and his justice is perfect. And he didn't just lay violent hands on, on, on the church though, uh, Herod. In his pride, he wished to be divine. The voice of a God, not of a man. His pride welled up. He didn't reject or rebuke them. He took that. Wish to be divine. Tried to steal God's glory. So not only was he a persecutor of the church, but he was a glory thief. Listen, you don't mess with God's church and you don't mess with God's glory, right? As evident in Herod's life right here. Because there is one God and he gets all of the glory. He does not share his glory as we saw in Isaiah. He doesn't share it. Jesus is the real king and all of the glory goes to him. And so the reward for glory thieves is worms. It's worms. In fact, this entire account of Herod Agrippa being struck down um, is actually historically confirmed by the first century Jewish historian, Josephus. He says this, now when Herod Agrippa had reigned three years over all Judea, he exhibited shoes in honor of Caesar. And he presented his flatterers, uh, and presently, sorry, his flatterers cried out that he was a God. And they added, be thou merciful to us. For although we have hitherto referenced thee only as a man, yet shall we henceforth own thee as superior to mortal nature. Upon this, the king did neither rebuke them nor reject their impious flattery. And a severe pain also arose in his belly and began in a most violent manner. His pain was become violent. Accordingly, he was carried into the palace. And when he had been quite worn out by the pain in his belly for five days, he departed this life. Do you see how that first century account directly lines up 
with the scripture, right? In fact, the scripture even goes to show us what the pain in his belly was. What was it? Worms. Right? The scripture even gives us the cause of his belly pains, which is worms. Listen, this is God's justice on display. His perfect justice on display. It's a reminder to us to show us that he is a God of perfect justice, even when we don't see it. Because I think what happens for us is, is we have this question that always arises, especially as we live in the fallen world that we live in, right? Are the wicked really going to be punished? I see a lot of wickedness. Every day, I open up the news, I see something more wicked, more and more wicked. It seems like the world is getting darker and darker and darker and, and wickedness is continuing to happen and corruption is continuing to happen and it doesn't seem like there's any justice being met out for any of these people who are wicked. They keep getting away with it. Are the wicked going to go unpunished? Is God going to bring justice to the wicked? The answer is yes. He is because his justice is perfect. And this is a reminder to us that the wicked will not go unpunished. He has the last say. He will punish the wicked, the guilty. He will bring his perfect justice. And even though you and I may not see it in our lifetime, sometimes we do. Sometimes we do see the perfect justice of God on display in our life. Sometimes we don't. But this is to remind us that even when we don't see it, his justice is perfect, and he will not let the wicked go unpunished. It's a display of his perfect justice. I think that there's also an application for us in this, because what we're looking at is a story of a prideful king, right? Prideful Herod, who is trying to steal the glory of God, who thinks that he can ravage the church. He's full of pride, and God humbles him. Because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so I want to just share with us three stories of pride in, in the Bible. Because I think that it's going to really help us apply this, um, hopefully better, to, to our life. The first story is the, is the story of Naaman. In 2 Kings 5, um, Naaman is this powerful warrior. And he's a commander of the army of the, of the king of Syria. And, um, and super important guy. But he has leprosy. And so he asks his king to reach out to the king of Israel to have one of the prophets come and heal him of, it, of his leprosy. And so in 2 Kings 5, verse 8, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me now, talking about Naaman, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry. Naaman got prideful in his anger because he wanted, he wanted it to happen a certain way. He wanted Elisha to come out and to heal him. And he went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. He had it all in his mind about how this was gonna go and how he wanted it to go and it wasn't going his way and he got prideful. Are not Abana and Farpar, the, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel, right? Pride, 
Could I not wash in them and be clean? Why did I come here to wash in the dirty Jordan? So he turned and went away in a rage, but his servants, thank God for his servants, came near and said to him, my father, it is a great word the prophets, the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So Naaman, what does he do? Even though he was prideful, even though he was in a rage in his pride, he humbled himself. So he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So this is a story of Naaman, who became prideful and angry. He's an important person, but then what did he do? He humbled himself. And when he humbled himself to the word of the Lord, he was cleaned and healed, right? All right, let's look at another story of pride. King Nebuchadnezzar, right? This is Daniel 4, verse 30. This is right after King Nebuchadnezzar hears um, Daniel's interpretation of his dream where he tells King Nebuchadnezzar that, that God is going to humble him, okay? And this is what the king has to say. The king answered and said, uh, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Uh-oh. <laughs> and while the words, again, God resists the proud. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and lords sought me out, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Okay, so Naaman, story of uh, someone who was prideful and humbled himself. King Nebuchadnezzar, story of someone who was prideful and God humbled them and then restored them, right? And then, of course, we have uh, Herod as the last example, who was prideful upon prideful upon prideful. And God destroyed him. So three stories of pride. Naaman, Nebuchadnezzar, and Herod. Which one do you want to be? <laughs> Which one of those do you want to be? Do you want to be the person who humbled himself and was cleaned and restored? Do you want to be the person who is prideful and then God humbles you? Or do you want to be Herod who is destroyed? And you might, not, you might think, like, I'm not, I'm not like the King Agrippa, right? I'm not like King Herod. He, he's a king of, over all of, the, you know, all of these areas, and he has all of these subjects and all of this power and all of this wealth. 
and all of this control. I'm, I'm not a king over a lot of people, but maybe you think you're king over your life. Maybe you think you're king over, over your life. I could do whatever I want. I could do what I please with my life. It's my life. I'm gonna do whatever I want. No one can tell me what to do. I'm the king of me. Listen to me, God resists the proud kings. Doesn't matter if your kingdom is large or just yourself. God resists you, but he gives grace to the humble. And in that humility, he restores and cleanses them. So which do you want to be? I don't know about you, but I wanna be like Naaman, right? I wanna humble myself. Even when I get prideful, and I do, I wanna humble myself and obey his word. So God's name is higher. God's justice is perfect. Here's the last one for us. God's power is greater. God's power is greater. We've seen it already, but immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. It increased and multiplied. God's power is greater. God is more powerful than the powerful. He is more powerful than the powerful. And God's power is demonstrated through the killing of King Herod and through his word going forth, increasing and multiplying, right? It's, it's demonstrated, God's power demonstrated through killing of the king first, right? And again, this is a mirror. This is a bookend in, in, uh, in, in Acts 12. So remember in the beginning, Herod took, uh, he, he laid his violent hands on the church and he took James and Peter, right? And he killed James. These were the leaders of the church. Herod was demonstrating his power as the king by showing that he can take the leaders of the church and, and kill him. That's how powerful I am. Don't you see it, church? Don't come against me. I'm powerful enough to grab your leaders and kill them. Bookend. God demonstrates his power by taking the king and killing him. King who thinks he's so powerful, God demonstrates his power and takes him out. Right, there was a comparison last week that, that Jeff showed in the scripture of, of, of the hand uh, of, of the Lord versus the hand of Herod. But we also have a comparison in, in this scripture because not only did God show his power by killing the king, the most powerful person, he demonstrated his power in uh, increasing and multiplying his word. And the comparison that we have here is the voice of a God, Herod, to the word of God. The voice of a God versus the word of God. And, and, and God shows his power. He says, who, whose voice is greater? Is it the voice of this God, Herod, or is it the word of God? Well, Herod died and his voice ceased. When one of the leaders of the church died, God's word multiplied and increased. This is actually a phenomenon that happens throughout the, the, the early church. God's word multiplying in the face of, of persecution and martyrdom. Uh, Tertullian, the Christian defender of the faith, said, we, we multiply whenever we are mowed down by you. The blood of Christians is the seed of the church. 
And Jerome said about 100 years later, the church of Christ has been founded by shedding its own blood, not that of others, by enduring outrage, not by inflicting it. Persecutions have made it grow. Martyrdoms have crowned it. The word of God goes forth, even in the face of persecution. It is multiplied and increased. And so if you were to kind of give a, a summary of questions on, on, the chapter, on, on chapter 12 in Acts, I think those questions would be these two questions. Whose power really matters and whose voice really matters? If we were to take a summary, whose power really matters and whose voice really matters? Is it that of an earthly king or is it that of the most high God? The answer, God, right? God's power really matters and God's voice really matters. And this is a reminder that God is powerful and in control. His power is greater. He is more powerful than even the most powerful in positions of power. And sometimes we as Christians, we can become a little doom and gloom. Have you seen that? Maybe you've experienced that. Again, we see all of this wickedness and this, this corruption taking place and, and we can kind of get really upset about it. We can become doom and gloom. I don't see God working. Where, why, why isn't he moving in this? Why is he allowing this to happen? When is his justice coming? Is it ever coming? I don't see him working. I don't see him moving. All I see is more and more and more wickedness. And the Christian becomes doom and, and gloom because what we have is we have a snapshot of the here and the now. We have a snapshot of right now. And yeah, the, the picture maybe looks bleak right now. But God has the whole picture. He's got the fullness of the picture. Can you imagine if the church took a snapshot of, of chapter 12, verse one and two? Herod laying his violent hands on the church and killing James and imprisoning Peter. Snapshot. It's over, it's all over, guys. Our leaders are, are killed. The Lord didn't save them. He's not saved. It's over. We might as well just hang up the towel. It's over. They could become real doom and gloom, right? That's just a snapshot of the fuller picture. The full picture is that God's name is higher, that his justice is perfect, and that his power is greater. And he shows that through the destruction of Herod and his word multiplying and increasing. Is anyone here Lord of the Rings fans? Lord of the Rings, right? I'm looking at one right now, and I know they love the Lord of the Rings. Remember the, the Battle of Helm's Deep? You guys know that battle? It got to a pretty dire place, right? The wall had been blown up, all of the, the armies rushing forward. They're trapped in the, in the keep. It, everything looks like it's over. And they're like, all right, I guess, you know, desperation move. Let's make one last charge and go out in a blaze of glory, right? Snapshot that moment. Pretty dire, right? You get pretty doom and gloom about it, right? But there's a fuller picture that, that, that is happening, and that is the, that Gandalf comes over the horizon with, with the army and crashes down into the army, winning the battle, right? That's the difference between the snapshot of the moment and the fullness of the picture. You and I don't have the full picture of how it's going to end. And we might not see it in our lifetime, but God sees all of it. He's got the full picture. And listen, nobody can stop God. 
God is undefeated. His power is greater. His name is higher. His justice is perfect. He is sovereign. He is in control. He has the full picture. And so we as Christians, we don't need to be doom and gloom. We must wait on the Lord who is faithful. Amen? And we remember that through persecution, through wickedness, the word of God increases and multiplies. The grass withers, the flowers fade, the worms eat, but the word of God remains forever. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for our time in your word this uh, today. And um, Lord, we're thankful for the truths that you have for us. Sometimes, Lord, it can be really discouraging to live in this fallen world where we see wickedness and corruption and prideful rulers over us. Lord, I, I pray that you would give us hope for the future, that you would help us to wait on you and your perfect justice. We don't have to get that justice or vengeance. The vengeance is yours. Your perfect justice is coming. We can trust and believe that. Lord, I pray that you help us to continue to look to you, to put our hope and our trust and our faith, that we don't place it on uh, the rulers of this world, but we place it on the king of kings. Lord, I pray that um, any pride that we have in us that you, you would destroy, Lord. Would we be a people who humble ourselves and obey your word? And if we don't, Lord, would you humble us? Lord, we don't want to be Herod. Your name is higher. Your justice is perfect, Lord. And your power is greater. Help us to hold on to those truths as we go about our week. Help us to live in that reality instead of the one that we see with our eyes before us in the snapshot that we have. Let us trust and know that you have the full picture in mind and that you are a God who is undefeated. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org.